Well, welcome. If, if you're coming in in the midst of summer, I have bad news for you. Uh, it's, it's basically, basically over. Uh, some of you are rejoicing because your kids can go back to a routine. Some of you are, yeah, you get like, yeah. Uh, but wherever you've been this summer, we've, we've been in a series talking about joy because uh, I don't know how it functions for you on a daily basis. But what we know is true for most of us is that we often wake up and we have days where you're like, you don't feel it. You don't have the excitement, the, the happiness, and, but the better word is joy going on in your soul. So all of us, all locations, hello uh, West, East, fellows at RCMU and, and online, we're going to go after this and we're going to go after something that I think is very personal to you. I don't know where you'll land, but we'll see. I think it will get personal. Uh, the story starts off with... Uh, a missionary. If you don't know what a missionary is, the shortest definition I can give you is a person who goes somewhere to show people who Jesus is. It's a person who typically leaves their normal where they grew up oftentimes, their, their, their routine, their, their comfort, and goes to a place that is slightly or mostly unfamiliar, and they want that area, that group of people to know who Jesus is. Well, this missionary, this is a true story, by the way, missionary goes to this place, and i got to tell you about the place. The place is where, well, it's right off of Turkey, where you and I would know as Turkey now, right, right on the Mediterranean. Like, what a rough place to go to be a missionary, to wake up to the Mediterranean every single day. Well, way back when this was playing out, the missionary was going to go to this place and did go to this place, and uh, it was full of commerce. Uh, obviously, where they were at, there was uh, imports and exports going on, uh, but there was also, uh, there were philosophers and, and students, there were bankers, fishermen. It was a thriving, thriving community known for, some of you will love this, uh, it's grapes, wine, and cheese. Some of you are like, sounds like a good dinner. Uh, and so that's what they were known for. It's an incredible place, but in the midst of being incredible as it was, the missionary was going there for purpose because it was also known as a pretty dark place. Uh, in fact, there, there weren't churches there. There weren't people talking about Jesus. There, there wasn't a lot of that going on. And so the missionary says, I'm going to go there. I'm going to uproot and go there. The missionary shows up, called by God to go there, meets people, begins to get momentum behind, let's get a church started, let's help people know who Jesus is. And then one day, boom, is going to leave. Tells a few people, tells a few people, I'm out, I'm gone, uh, and, but I'm going. Before it all started playing out. I mean, there was one of those like, this is random, what went wrong? Many of you are like, okay, what's the problem? Well, it wasn't it wasn't that the country was expelling the missionary. It wasn't uh, modern day where maybe he was scared for his life. It wasn't, it wasn't weird. It, it wasn't sickness. It wasn't. Uh, but what we do know is we know why this missionary literally abandons his mission. The reason we know is because he wrote a letter about it. He wrote a letter that went after it. And you and I have that letter. We have the letter where he explains why he decided in a split moment to ghost the area. Here's, here's what he wrote in the letter. Now, when I went to Throost to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, don't miss that. That's his way of very 
eloquently saying, I went to where God wanted me to. He opened a door. Many of us have used that phrase, where God opens a door for you, which is a bit confirming, right? When you feel like, I'm doing what God wants me to do, and it seems like it's playing out. That's what he's saying. You're like, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm where God wants me. This is going well. I still had no peace of mind. Lock on to that. I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. That's important. So I said, goodbye. <laughs> See ya. I'm out. To them and went off to Macedonia. Now, now give me some context. Here's what was scheduled based on what else is written. The missionary, Paul, went to his post, started meeting people, was putting together a church, and was waiting for Titus to show up. There was a date, there was a time. He was supposed to arrive. Well, that day came, he didn't arrive. Then the next day played out, he was still in there. Next day, next day, next day, next day. We don't know exactly how many days passed by, but according to the writer, the missionary, Paul, he's saying, I am now freaked out. Perhaps you've been there before. When what you were expecting to happen, when what was supposed to play out, didn't. And then the next day happened, and the next day happened, and the next day happened, and you began to have this anxiety and, and worry stir up. Now here's what's really cool. This is being written by Paul. If you don't know Paul, Paul's got churches nowadays named after him. The guy is a stud when it comes to Christian walks and worlds. He is world-renowned. He is known across everywhere for being the guy who helped get the gospel. Jesus Christ spread all over the place, and he just told us he disobeyed God because he got worried about something. You and I should be like going, oh, good. But I think there's something to learn here. He just admitted, he just admitted that he had worry pretty bad in his life. He just admitted, I was doing what God wanted done, and then I left it because I didn't know what was going on. I was worried about my buddy. And some of you are going, well, that sounds like a good friend. Yeah, but there are days, you have to admit, where you choose to do what God wants or you choose to do what someone else wants. And the best choice is always to do what God wants. And he let that go. He dropped that because of worry. So I'm going to ask you a question. How bad does worry have you? Don't answer out loud. How bad does it have you? Where, does, where right now do you have worry taking you? Perhaps some of you are hand in hand right now with anxiety going, where are we going? Many of us do that. You wake up, you let something play out. All of us are guilty of hearing stuff or experiencing stuff we didn't plan, and then you're like, what do I do? What do? And many of us, listen, many of us are in danger of dropping the things we ought to be about because something is worrying us. And I guarantee you, if you have worry, if it has you, your joy level is probably pretty low. And I think it can return. If you're still fighting me, one of you are like, no, I'm not a worrier. I'm married to one, but I'm not one of those people. Some of you are saying that right now. No, I think the right circumstances tempt all of us. In fact, I can give you a bit of evidence to begin to prove where the majority of us are. Uh, Amazon has an app, a reading app called Kindle. Some of you are familiar with it. 
Now here's what you may not like to hear. I'm just going to tell you right now. Um, they're tracking you. That's how life works nowadays. If you have an app, you're being tracked. Here's how this one works. If you use Kindle and you highlight something in the Kindle app, Amazon logs that. And they're wondering, they're keeping track and then advertising what you and I are really into. Now, you can read the Bible in this app. And I find it very fascinating that the most, uh, most highlighted verse in the Bible in this app is not John 3.16. For God so loves the world. Yeah. Jeremiah 29, 11, some of you love that. God's got amazing plans for you. No, no, no. The number one highlighted verse in this app has everything to do with worry. We're bypassing salvation verses. We're bypassing all that. No, we're like, I'm worried. I need a verse, right? And I'm not hating on that. I'm just trying to show. If you want to know if you are the only worrier amongst us, uh, welcome to the party. We're all in the midst of it. Either we're in it or we're recovering. Don't be anxious about anything. Other versions say, don't worry. So we have to come to the conclusion, which I think it's obvious, that we all have moments where we worry. I think the confusion comes in what are you and I are do, what we're doing about our worry. You and I, oh, we can debate about that stuff. Like, what do we do when we're worried? What's the approach to take? Well, let's, let's go after something first. Because there is an approach being advertised. There's an approach that says, here's the approach to take. If you have worry or anxiety or issues in your life like that, here's what you ought to do. Here's what society suggests. That the antidote to this, the antidote to, man, I'm just stirred up, whatever you want to call it. I got this tension going on. I'm, I'm concerned about the future. This person is thinking this or doing that. Ah, I got this anxiety and this worry. This, uh, focus on, on you. Like yourself, just you, go, go after what, what you want. Stop, stop stifling your desires. Chase your feelings. Go after what feels right. If, if, oh, my favorite. Follow your heart. Mm. But that's, I'm just telling you, and I think you would agree, that's what we're being taught. If you've got stuff going on that you don't like, that you're wrestling with, you need to divert all attention to yourself, be all about yourself, and go after that. In fact, if you could, uh, create your perfect environment. If you can create your perfect environment, then all anxiety and worry will be gone. Yeah. So my question is, if you have been following this track, if you've been one going, you know what, I'm just trying to create my perfect environment, my safe zone, my happy zone, and if I'm just trying to create this place so that I won't have anxiety and worry, my question for you is, how is that working for you? Or a bigger question, how is that working for us as a society? It's being communicated to do that. I'm, my question is, I'm not getting judgmental. How's that working for us? I think it's pertinent to tell you about a survey that happened. The survey asked people, what is the perfect community? What is the ideal community? Like if you wanted to create, call it your Pleasantville, what would it have? Well, I, I can give you the top answers. Free or affordable education, free or affordable health care, an active lifestyle, an opportunity to have that strong economy and low crime. 
the survey, there was, there was others, but those are the top that said, if we have those, if we have those, then we're going to have this, a bit of a pleasant feeling. We will, our, our worry and our anxiety will begin to dissipate. It will be awesome if we just have that. Well, according to the world, if you plug those numbers in, in essence, put those answers in, there is a place that says that, that like, yeah, we have all of those. It's Copenhagen. So get your passport. For those of you right now who, who have bought this idea that if you create your safe zone, your perfect place, if you just go there and surround yourself with that, then you're going to land with no anxiety, no worry. Okay, yeah, so we should all move there because they have it all. However, and you, you knew there was a however. Underneath, there's a different story in Copenhagen. They have... Uh, extremely high levels, abnormally, far greater than most places, of male suicide, alcohol-related violence, depression, anxiety, adultery, and infidelity when compared to other places in the world. And oddly enough, they are radically exclusive to foreigners. But on the outside, come on, it's Pleasantville. Does it not sound like what we've been taught? This concept that perhaps the cosmetic approach to life doesn't work. I know it's what we're being taught. I know it's what we're being, and it sounds good. Like the phrasing, it is perfect to tweet or put it on Instagram or to put it on a t-shirt and say, yes, this is what I want. It doesn't work or it does not appear to be working. Hmm. Because most of us are still focusing and battling something that we are worried about, that anxiety is going after us with. Uh, an author used a term, um, the beautiful apocalypse. Now, most of us do not think of beautiful when it comes to apocalypse. You think of, uh, well, I mean, The Walking Dead, you think of Blade Runner. You th I mean, I don't know what you, th either pick your movie or show, right? You're like, no, that, no, that's the apocalypse. Like, all this craziness and definitely zombies. Zombies are definitely there and there's all this crazy and, and, we, and we're expecting this. What if, what if our pursuit of a perfect circle that we would live in, the perfect cosmetic life, the author brings up the concept, could that be our demise? Could our attempt to only deal with what's going on on the outside be destroying what's going on on the inside? If you need someone to raise their hand and say, I think that's it, I'm, I'm gonna raise my hand, and I say, you and I, even though we can have the perfect life on the outside, could still be wrestling radically with worry, with anxiety, with just call it life. Here's what I find humorous. The missionary I told you about at the beginning, the guy who was doing what God wanted him to do, and then he left it, boom, gone, and writes about, confesses, come on, I don't know what you'd write if it got published in the Bible, but you'd, but you'd back off. You'd be like, I wasn't that bad. He writes it, it's, and it's, a, it's profound for you and I. He's saying, I gave up, I quit what God wanted me to do for a moment because of worry. Here's what's so cool. Seven years later, after that worry just got him, seven years later, he writes another letter. And that most popular verse that we're highlighting, it's that. 
Seven years later, he says, all right, we need to talk about worry because I am a recovering worrier. And that's why he writes, do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry about anything. How does a guy who literally abandoned what God wanted him to do because of worry have anything to say? Well, I'd say seven years, he learned something. And let's table what society's teaching us, and let's look at a recovering worrier who seems to have victory over worry and see what he has to say about getting victory over worry. Here's what he says. You want to beat worry? You want to beat it? Cool. Rejoice in the Lord always. And if you missed it, he repeated it. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, you need to know in this culture, if you're writing and you're repeating, oh, they're like, you better stink and pay attention. And here's what he says. You want to fight worry? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. What, what a churchy word, huh? Most of us do not go to work and be like, hey, everybody, we just need to rejoice today. Just remember rejoicing day. People who don't read the Bible aren't normally like, is that a song of some sort? What are you talking about? The simplest way to say what Paul is saying, rejoicing helps us overcome our worry. Do not read so quickly and assume that you and I have this locked down and practiced and mastered and we're saying, oh, I knew, yeah, yeah. Some of us are even saying, oh, I know what he's saying. We're supposed to worship God more often. And the more time we're worshiping God, the less time we have to worry. And some of us are translating saying, the more I'm focused on God, the less time I have to think about that stuff. And I'd say it's deeper than that. He's like, you want to stop worrying? You need to rejoice and rejoice and rejoice, and rejoice, and rejoice, and rejoice. And many of us are like, would you tell me what the word rejoice even means? I'm glad you asked. This is the actual definition, and I think it, it requires our time. To give joy. Focus less on the word joy and more on the word give. If you don't understand what Paul's saying, he's like, you got a worry problem? I'm a recovering worrier. I'd like to tell you what to do. You need to start giving God joy over and over and over and over. And some of us are like, but I got to say some stuff. I know you got to say some stuff. But many of us are not approaching God in the midst of our worry and our anxiety with any intention of giving him anything, right? Many of us are going after, um, I've got a list of I need to get, and once we cover this and I fully explain this to God, then we can talk about how great he is, especially if he does what I ask him to do. Are we, in, are we in our homes yet right now? We should be right there at the kitchen table having a conversation. Many of us are trying to get from God so much that we are consumed with whether or not he's going to give it to us. And here's my personal take. This is my experience. Take it for what you want. If getting is constant, worry becomes constant. I got too many stories to tell you. I could tell you stories about my kids and pretend like it's not a part of my life. Uh, then I could tell you stories about me that make you question if I should even be a pastor. I'm just telling you. I think all of us should resonate with this, that the moment you begin to go after what you can get, you begin to get consumed on whether you're going to get it or not, which then begins to breed anxiety and worry to where you're all about, am I going to get it, am I going to get it, am I going to get it? Some of us have even stopped 
talking to God. Because he's not given us what we've asked. And the reason that you've stopped is you're too worried to get engage that conversation again. Do you understand when you get consumed with what you don't have and what you, what, what you want to get, you begin to get this thing in your gut, call it, or your brain where it's all about that. And so Paul, the recovering worrier, says, that is no fun whatsoever. You will have no joy living that kind of way. So always... Go to God and give joy. If you don't know what that means, give thanks. Let Him know who He is all the time, over and over and over and over again. When you're in a bad mood, try this one. Go tell God how amazing He is. You're like, I don't feel like it. I understand that. Now, don't, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can't go to God about what you need. In fact, in this very section of this letter where he's talking to you and I about worry, he brings this up. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. If you're new to the Bible, you're like, present my request. Ask him for what you want and what you need. Like, eloquently, you can present them. But many of us are like, God, help me with this. <laughs> He's saying, go to him, and, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Most of us are like, thank you for the permission, yes. <laughs> right? Present your request to God. With thanksgiving, though, Don't delay the thanksgiving. Many of us are delaying it to see if he will give us what we've asked for, and we're losing our joy because he's not getting... No, 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 no. You enter with thanksgiving. It's a prompt. I think most of us know this. I think most of us are aware of this, but we just need someone to prompt us. And I'd say the Holy Spirit is probably prompting you, saying, how often are you giving to God versus how much you're trying to get from him? And your answer will reveal how much joy you have. Now, that's not the only thing that Paul said about stress and anxiety and worry. He kept writing. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. At a first glance, appears to be like, did we just change the subject? Are we talking about holding babies now? The word gentleness just came up, and it's like, ooh, this is so precious. Uh, gentleness helps us overcome our worry. That's what Paul just said. I'm going to do my best to describe this. But if you want to know what I think we have the biggest problem with, it is this. I think it will be clear when we get done. Here's the definition because most of us have no clue what gentleness is. Strength under control. Strength under control. Now you're getting why we don't have a lot of it. We got lots of strength. If strength was gentleness, we'd be like, home run, got it. Strength under control, calm, <laughs> even when heated. Many of us are not aware that the anxiety and the worry in our lives, we are actually creating it and fueling it because we're choosing to not be in control and not be calm. Let me give you an example. It was horrible. 
On vacation, we had a three-hour flight. Now, I don't know what you do on a three-hour flight, but here's the situation. I, I got some cheaper tickets, which I regret now, but the cheaper tickets involved giving me, me, a middle seat. Now, you need to understand that you may not know how planes are assembled today. They are, they are assembled by terrorists who, who are assembling, and here's the, here's the criteria for planes, and, and they're saying, here's how seats, and so I'm in a middle seat. I, when I get, we, we had an infant with us, and so you better believe we took advantage of the board early. Yep, so we, we boarded early. I'm in my middle seat. My family's behind me. I'm like, all right, this is not going to be good. Then people start coming in. Now, you don't make eye contact with the people because you, part of you is thinking, I hope no one sits in my row. And so you're like, if I'm just going to pretend not to see you, that somehow means that people will not sit. However, while I'm sitting there, I just happen to look up and the guy's staring at me. And I'm like, you wonderful man, what, are you, what would you like, sir? He's like, that's my seat. And he's had the window seat. It's like, hey, man, how you doing? And he's like, I'm great. I'm good. I'm good. I get up, leave, and he goes and sits in the seat. Now, we have those, those screens on the back of the seats. It's a three-hour flight. I mean, we, we should not have to read books anymore. Come on. We, we need entertainment, and, and, and Delta was providing this entertainment. So endless free movies, it's absolutely awesome. The guy got in his seat, but he had a bit of a unique seat. See, we were behind the exit row. And in this particular plane, it's one of the newer ones, what they've decided to do is this, is remove one of the seats right by the exit row. And so I'm behind this guy. This is not an actual picture, just giving you a scenario. And the guy next to me is now there, but there's a seat missing. A screen is missing. Instead of the screen being this close from him, it's now this close. And I don't know a better way to say it, but mayhem began. The guy starts to wiggle in his chair. Now, he is a grown man. If you're wondering, like, I mean, is this a teenager? Nope, he appeared to be about a 50-year-old man. Starts to wiggle, fidget, <laughs> starts to grumble. And then I start to hear four-letter words. Not ones I'm going to talk to you about. In fact, he begins to use combinations I've never heard of. I'm like, wow, you're mad, man. You're really mad. Then a part of me gets a bit selfish. Here's the selfishness. I'm like, if you don't calm down, you're going to delay this flight. And then I'm going to have to hurt you and delay us even more like I need you to in my head I need you to chill out man because he started getting so verbal and like cussing that people started looking around and then all of a sudden you better believe the stewardess showed up that's how bad and like this was out loud and he starts saying stuff like crazy and and she's like you know can I help you and he's like there's no screen right in front of me I'm like I can't believe we're having this conversation right now he starts to, like, like a child would throw a tantrum, try to plug his headphones in, and how it just couldn't reach and flips it down like he just fell down and broke his leg. I'm like, what in the world, man? And he's, I mean, it's, she tries, oh, she did such a good job. Yeah, she did such a good job trying to explain this. And, and, and he's, I mean, just, and then the, then the cussing um, amped up. And I heard the name of Jesus in ways that it should not be used. And it began to get, I think the CEO's kids were cursed on this, I mean, I'm talking things about the CEO of Delta and as an organization were being said that I'm like, man, I don't, you're, you have got to chill out. And the only thing I can think is maybe he'll switch seats. If he wants this screen so bad that he's literally cursing people and everything around him and losing his mind. So I said, hey, man, 
You want my seat? I mean, you have my seat. No problem. Seriously, dude. No problem. Uh, I'll just, I'll, I'll sleep. And, and he looks at me, and here's what he says. <laughs> no, no, it's no big deal. No, no big deal, man. Now I got things like no big deal, but you just cursed people and Jesus and, and said that Delta is out to get you. And, and you, now you're yelling at, literally yelling at his family who's ahead of him, like how horrible everything is. And I'm like, no, no big deal. And then as soon as that conversation's over, he went right back into cussing up a storm and throwing a tantrum. And I'm like, whoa. Little did he know that most of his problems were resolved right where he's at. They have a special tray in those seats. They have a special device that would allow him actually to watch that screen that's not very far away from him. He even, I just, he had his own phone that he could have connected to the Wi-Fi and watched any movie he wanted. But because he didn't get what he wanted, he let his strength go out of control. And we can judge, we can judge but I don't think we should judge him because I think every one of us has moments where we are very, very guilty of the same thing. Maybe not saying the same things, but we're guilty of not living out gentleness. Let me show you this again. Strength under control. Guess what that guy did not have on that flight? Peacefulness. Could your deficit of peace in your life could your deficit of, of just enjoying life not be your actual circumstances, but your response to your circumstances? Let's listen to the recovering worrier saying, I abandoned what God wanted me to do because I was worried. Seven years later, he says, hey, gentleness plays a role here. Control yourself. If you control yourself, you won't fuel that fire. It's brilliant if you will apply it. And then he finishes saying some really good stuff. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, when you read this now, you're like, oh, that's a recovering worrier. I get it now. That's someone who who gives God praise constantly, right? If you're going to give God praise constantly, God, you're amazing. What you made is amazing. God, I don't agree with everything you do, but you are amazing. You are strong. You are my provider. You are absolutely the most incredible comforter and shepherd. You are awesome, God. You are awesome. See, that's why we even gather together. Sometimes you don't even have the words to say to God that are rejoicing, so that's why we even sing songs that you're like, I don't know, this is new to me or this or that, and it's why we, we, we attach words that we may not know to help the joy begin to refill, to rejoice in the Lord always. Paul says you need to focus on the good stuff, whatever's praiseworthy. Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Perhaps the God of peace doesn't feel like he's with you because you're trying to get everything you can from them and you're out of control. Thank you, Apostle Paul, for helping us get back to normal. 
But what he just brought up is something you have got to lean into. Because you go one of two ways here. I just preached a sermon, and it requires maturity. Because you can say, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but... And then you go off and live your normal. It pushes us to a mature conversation. Are you flirting with religion, or are you following Jesus Christ? See, Paul wasn't... Paul wasn't flirting with a religion. He wasn't dabbling here or there, trying to find himself just some soulless. He was following Jesus Christ. He was what we call a Christian, not a religious person, a Christian. And he offers you and I some mature advice, saying you need to rejoice in the Lord always, and you need to control yourself. And you can take this sermon and leave it, or you can press it into your soul and say, I need to be mature about this. I need to not try to flirt with religion. I need to follow Jesus. And that's where you walk it out. Here in a moment, we're going to baptize people. And i I, I got to preface this because we live in a culture, especially a region, who is not quite sure exactly what baptism is. We see people go underwater and come back out, and we're like, yeah, that's the religious thing. That's cool. No. No, it's people saying, you know what? I can't save myself. I can't fix everything in my life, but there's Jesus, and they've decided to follow Jesus, not perfectly. They will have moments where they are tempted again to be out of control, to not be calm in the situations that you and I know about. They'll be tempted to have days where they don't want to Praise God, talk to God, because they got a lot going on. They're not declaring to you and I that they are perfect. They're saying, but I got Jesus, and I'm going to lean into Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. It's going to be all about Jesus, because I don't want to be fueled by and driven and restricted by anxiety and worry and the things of this world. That's what they're doing. And we live in a region, frankly, and I do not mean to offend anyone, but many of us were actually baptized because of someone else's anxiety and worry. Many of us, when we were younger, were baptized and we did not make the choice ourselves. Someone else did because they were scared to death we would go to hell if it didn't happen. Baptism is not someone else's choice. There's proof about it. Jesus walked this out. Baptism is a person's choice that they've decided to follow Jesus. He has forgiven their sins and they have accepted that and they're going to follow him the rest of their lives. That's baptism because it's public, right? So some of you, you've, you've tuned in to a sermon in church and you're like, all right, what's this have to do with me? Perhaps you're supposed to get baptized because your baptism was more someone else's choice and not yours. Or maybe you've never even made the choice at all. I love how baptism and worry are connected in this moment. Many of us need to understand that we don't have to worry we don't have to be, oh no, oh no, it, do I, am I right with God or not? No. You decide to follow Jesus, you engage that relationship, and you better be public. So whether you plan on it or not, just so you know, the way our church functions, you are welcome to get baptized today. But you're going to have to be brave enough, uh, mature enough, to let Jesus come into your soul. And take over and decide each day that you truly are going to follow him and not let the things of this world dominate you. So, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to celebrate. 
But some of you will have to bypass the celebration and you're gonna have to get yourself baptized and get the stuff on and do this. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I believe this day was crafted by you and, and not full of accidents and moments that were coincidences. Lord, I believe that you have, you have assembled us in, in, in the way, Lord, that you intended, that you wanted people to hear who you are, that you, you love us and that you want a relationship with us and that you're not trying to get us into a box of religion, but, but a thriving, joy-filled, peaceful relationship. Lord, I pray right now for those who have, who have long ago decided to follow you. They perhaps you can't even remember the day or the, or the moment they decided to follow you. Lord, for those who have done that but have not been baptized, perhaps this is the day you are calling them publicly, to declare publicly. Or for those who are consumed with worry and anxiety and the things of this world are just overbearing. In the name of Jesus Christ, free us from that. Lord, we're going to spend the rest of our time celebrating what you have done. So we rejoice in you. You change us. You save us. You empower us. You provide for us. You lead us. You are all that we need. And we declare that to you. God, be a part of this time. Anoint it. And receive all glory for it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.